uh, a huge thank you to our venue studio crew, which is you all, for coming in tonight just to give people a worship experience tomorrow. If, um, if they're at home hiding out, if you're at home hiding out right now because you took all the toilet paper, <laughs> we know who you are and we're coming. Um, why don't we just open this whole time with prayer? If you're joining us online, please, please feel free to interact a little bit uh, today, this morning as you're watching this. But, but uh, I, I want to pray about this whole thing that's going on. I want to pray and let's bring a little heaven into an earthly situation. Can we do that? All right. Um, Heavenly Father, we just pray for wisdom for our leaders in this time of panic. I pray that you would give us leaders, Father, that are calm and wise, Father, and, and action-oriented, Lord God, that can tell us what to do as people, Father. And uh, I pray that they wouldn't be prone to panic or job security right now. Man, we need people to rise up in this time. And I pray for the leaders of government and the leaders in the health care. We pray for them today, Father. We intercede on behalf of them uh, as the Church of Christ, Lord. Um, they're not just dealing with the effects of the coronavirus, but a much greater effect that's happening right now, Heavenly Father, of the economy and the panic and the shortages. Um, plus having to deal with the sickness. Father, I just pray for wisdom for them to know what to do. I pray that you would show them how to minimize the damage here like a good leader does. I pray for that for our leaders today. Father, I pray that we would resist panic and let our Father walk into the room while we're hyperventilating in the corner. And he can just be like, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Thank you, Father, that there is something uh, that you're going to do in this as well, Father. And uh, though you don't cause sickness, Father, you do bring healing, and we thank you for that, Heavenly Father. I pray that this perfectly timed sermon series, which the Holy Spirit gave me, would be right now as we're talking about our economy and budget and panic, Father. I pray right now, Lord, I know that it's perfect for today. For every person listening, uh, I pray for strength for all healthcare workers, Lord God, in Jesus' name, and protection for them. I pray for, all, for help in the families that are affected by this uh, as well, Lord. We pray for a speedy recovery, Lord God, for them all. But I pray that your people, most of all, I pray that your people would rise up in this time. And we sacrifice our own comfort and our own goods to help those around us and bring them hope in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Seriously, um, if you've got all the toilet paper. <laughs> think, think, um, think like Liam Neeson and take it, right? We have a particular set of skills when we need toilet paper, too. We will find you. We will, we will find you. No, it's good for the three people in Airdrie who have all the toilet paper. I'm glad that you have all the toilet paper so that your kids can graduate and you have enough to toilet paper until then. That's great. But um, No, on a more serious note, look, I'm taking this seriously, but this is kind of how we do, right? We mix a little hard with a little fun. And so, but seriously, here's, here's what, I, what I want for you to say. If you are watching this in the city of Airdrie and you know where I live and you need toilet paper, we'll give you ours. And I'm not kidding. Like, come to my house. I'm not telling you where I live because that would be a bad thing, but seriously, if you live beside somebody who goes to Venue Church and you need something, yeah. knock on the door. We will, we will give you what we've got and we will share it with you and it's no problem. We'll make you a meal, but seriously, we, will, we are committed to serving our city here and we're committed to serving you like Jesus served uh, us when he came to this earth. So um, Panic has never made a crisis any better. There are people suffering crisis as the markets crashed as well, and we do recognize you. You know, we lost some, you lost some. I mean, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, 
That's why we need sermons like I'm going to preach right now. Because when the sun is shining, you don't prepare for the storm. And so right now is the best time for you to hit a reset button on this thing called budget in your life. If you hit a reset button, then the next panic that happens, you will not have reason to fear because God does not want you motivated by fear. And listen, there is a heavenly economy that I've been preaching about. Go to part one of this series. There's the earthly economy and there's the heavenly economy and the heavenly economy supersedes the earthly one. But you may or may not be subscribing to it. So listen, the promises of God come true no matter where you live, no matter what country you're from, no matter what you have or what you don't have or where you started. The promises of God always come true. He is a promise keeper. And if the economy doesn't keep its promises and if your investor can't keep his promises, right? come on. God will always keep his promises. And I want to bring a message of hope to you today. I want to challenge you that in these times are the times that you change everything. And, and if you give God today, he will give you your tomorrows. So you can't look back and just have a whole life of regret and keep spinning in your spending cycles. We're going to stop it today. We're going to get it under control. We're going to get it under God's control. And he's going to give us tomorrow. All right. Jesus said these words. And listen, sometimes when you read the Bible, you, don't, you think that we're in a crisis here. The Bible was written to people in crisis constantly. I mean like crisis, crisis. We've done aid work in countries where people are afraid that their children are going to die every day that they wake up. And so we've been in some places, I'm like, this is sketchy. Like, but let me say this, I know that we're experiencing this whole thing, Canadians, and we maybe have never been afraid of this before in the way that we're afraid of this now. And what I want to say is, look, we're going to make it through this and we're going to make it through together, but, but I don't want to live in a world where I'm stockpiling stuff if you don't have anything. And can I say we can do better than that? I don't mean like just church people, I mean everybody. We can do better than that. And this should be a time that ought to bring out the best and the noble things in our society, not the, not the, the other things. And so if you stop out toilet paper, I totally get it. But there are other ways, I'm just saying. Like, I've thought about 10 other ways, you know, there are other ways. Somebody like me, that's what I do. I think of all the other options, which is scary. My head's a dark place. Um, in Luke chapter 14, in Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus says these words, Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, or a new life, or a new whatever, doesn't first, use this phrase, sit down and figure. So I'm going to add out, because it makes more sense to me. Sit down and figure out. Meaning, sit down and crunch the numbers. To, uh, and figure the cost, so you'll know if you can complete it. Now, that might be your financial situation up to this point. You start something, it doesn't work out, and then you jump and you run to the next thing. Then you run to the next thing, and nothing ever gets completed, and the investments never come back. So we're going to talk about actually completing it, because God does not want you to be begging for bread, and God wants to build wealth in your life and quality of life so that his children have bread. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You have to believe that as a son or daughter of God. Sometimes we're not giving him the, we're not applying the tools that he gives us the way that we need to, to apply them. And so that's what we're going to talk about. He says, if you're only getting the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you, saying he started something that he couldn't finish. And so that's ultimately what we're afraid of, is, is somebody poking fun at us. So what we have to do is, is when we do this whole budget thing, we have to come into it with a good mood. You can be in a good mood in a crisis and help people. You will help people more with your joy and common sense. And you'll be able to ask more of them if you're joyful and not dragging and not afraid. And I feel way too much fear going on in our society right now. Way too much fear. And, and perfect love casts out fear. And so we've got to concentrate on loving better. And then God will be able to deal with our fear. How does that sound? All right. 
Listen, and you might be like, you're being glib about this. I've experienced more sickness and fear, I think, than most people could possibly imagine. I know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's only one thing worse than being really sick, and that's being really sick and afraid. And so I've experienced both. So I'm telling you, like, look, I have found some, some salvation for fear in my life, and I want to pass it on to you. Part of the passing on to you is we need to give you tools, and we need to work with them. All right, so sit down and figure out. Sit down and figure out. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Pastor Aaron and I, who's sitting in the studio today. I love you. I love you. I can say anything I want to tonight, but you can't come up here and hurt me. Because you're not here right now, and that's okay. I would totally make out with you right now. You know that. Okay. <laughs> this sermon is called Rich Girl Ice Cream. <laughs> Rich Girl Ice Cream. Neither Erin or I came from a lot of money. So there was a time when her, her mom moved out and her parents got a divorce. They had nothing. And my parents were pastors, so they also had nothing. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah, be a pastor for the salary. No, um, no, but you know, we, neither of us came from money, so you need to know that. Sometimes you look at somebody who's doing well, and you're like, they must have come from money. Well, that's not our story at all. Um, today's sermon is called Rich Girl Ice Cream. I'm going to tell you about the first year of our marriage. And so the first year of our marriage, we, we, my dad said, uh, kids, you might as well build a house. And so we built a house for you. You're gonna, it's going to hurt your feelings, young people. I'm sorry. Uh, we borrowed $105,000 from the bank, 105. It was a good time to build. Um, 105 from the bank, and I borrowed another 25,000 from my dad for the down payment. And, and uh, that we built in a smaller town, so, so real estate was at a decent price, although we felt like that was a lot at the time. I was making $8 an hour. $8 an hour. Uh, Aaron, was, Aaron was raking in the money. She was making, I think, 16-something, 17-something. What? That's why you don't do the numbers, baby, because you have never made that much no. It was 16 or $17 when we got married. <laughs> Baby, it was. We're having a fight right now. No, I know what it was. It was 25 total. Between the two. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, who knew? Right. right. I'll, take, I'll take it from here. Thanks. Um, no. <laughs> hey, part of just today's sermon, if you're married, is it's worth the fight. We fight about money because it's worth the fight. Sometimes you're, you're unafraid to bring up budget stuff because you're just afraid of your spouse sometimes. Man, you got to bring it up. I'm going to show you how that works <laughs> and the great victory we're experiencing in our lives right now. Listen, here's the miracle part of this. We paid dad back $25,000 in one year. That is physically impossible to do because I'm a numbers person when it comes to my money. And that, I still don't know. I feel like dad kind of maybe helped us there. Did you ever help us there or not? Really? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Listen. <laughs> We were doing money God's way at the time. And I want to show you how to do money God's way. Now, as the years went on, we started spending more money and more money on little things. How many people know that little things are the killers, right? And got nothing for it in the end. And so this is really what we've tightened up with our budget. Now, at the time, we were still tithing, giving 10% to our church. And more than 10%, we were doing what we could because generosity with God always comes back to you in like a million different ways. And we were still doing this at the time. So you might be thinking, well, you must not. No, no, we were being very generous at the time. In fact, every year we try to give a more percentage than we gave the year before, no matter what we're making. But, um, but we did. And then we eventually found this guy named Dave Ramsey, who is the financial guru right now. And we, I wish we would have done this early in our marriage. It was a little bit later, maybe, I don't know, six years ago. I'm not going to look at you anymore because you disagreed with me on camera. And... Um, but I wish that we would have known this earlier. I wish we would have had access to it earlier. We didn't. And we just said right up front, we're going to do everything that this man says because everything that he's saying is working. And so, um, so we hit a reset again about six years ago. See, we were good with money, but we weren't great with money. And, um, 
And what I realized, the main thing that we did in that time, we're going to be talking about it today, called budget. Now, rich girl ice cream. Why am I calling today's sermon rich girl ice cream? When Erin was pregnant with our kids, she was super sick. Like some of y'all ladies think you're sick. She was sick, sick for months and months. Every one of our children, we have four children, and, you know, they were worth it. Um, I keep looking at you because I'm afraid of you right now. Um, But I remember the talks that we had and the fights that we had. Because you could buy ice cream, uh, you could buy a pail of ice cream for six bucks for a big pail. But she wanted rich girl ice cream. And I had somebody in the, in the church, uh, my dad at the time, who was like, just buy a rich girl ice cream. I'm like, we can't because she's not a rich girl. We don't got money. Like, once a month, we would rent a $4 movie, and that was a lot. Well, you want to pay $25,000 plus set up a new house, plus a yard, plus in your first year of marriage? We ate pasta. We ate a lot of pasta. I'm going to talk about that later. Okay, there are two ways to have more. Are you ready? Write this down. This is, there are two ways to have more. The first one is what you spend most of your time trying to do and thinking about and wishing you make more. It makes sense. What he says is true. Yeah. <laughs> two ways to have more. You make more? Number, number one. That is something you have uh, relatively little control over, though. Don't you? I mean, the older you get, the more you, you know, when you're young, you think that you're worth $100,000 an hour, which you are not. But, you know, the old, my dad always said something to me. Here's a little tidbit from my dad. You probably make about what you're worth. Yeah. Anyways. I didn't like it either, but whatever. <laughs> um, here's the second way, and this is what we're going to be talking about in today's uh, sermon series. I'm going to be talking about generosity, and we're going to be talking about the next generation in our sermon series as it moves forward. Here's the second one. You can make more, or you can spend less. And number two, you have 100% control over. 100%. It is the only thing that you have control over completely like that. We're finding out right now that the margin that you built wasn't enough. And this is what is worrying me right now is the economy with this whole coronavirus thing could actually cause far more damage than the sickness. Because people, business owners, are freaking out right now. If you go, your business could be tanked in two months and you know it. And I, I shudder to think, can people go a month without work? Most of us can't. We have not prepared when the sun was shining. Well, now's the time that you got to reset. you got to approach life after this as different as life before this. Um, and it will work for you. It will always work for you. Spend less. So here's what, let me go into how my grandparents lived and our grandparents. So grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever generation you're from. My grand, uh, grandfather came from the Ukraine. He was 18 years old. He came to Canada. He came out to the West to farm, like a lot of our stories are. He came with $12 in his pocket. So we didn't come for money. Are you feeling me? In one generation, that generation built the foundation of wealth for the baby boomers. And they built it because of of something that I am calling. Are you ready? This is powerful. This is one of my big ideas for the series. They built it because they had this thing called immediate consequence. Immediate consequence for spending poorly. Think about it. Think about it. If you bought the wrong tractor, your kids would be hungry in two or three months. Think about it. If you made the wrong purchase or trusted the wrong person or got in a fight with your neighbors and and then harvest time, they're not going to help you. There was this thing called immediate consequence in their spending. They might be able to make a mistake once, but not twice. This is the generation that my parents were born to. 
And my dad and mom, they didn't come from much. But the foundation of the farms and the homesteads and the hard work and the ethic and how to, they couldn't plant the wrong crop at the wrong time. And this here, we run the risk in this generation coming up of losing the wealth of Canada in this generation. Because this one thing, this idea of immediate consequence, we don't have immediate consequence. So here is my big idea for you today. Ready? You have to make artificial consequences. Budget. You have to create a pain point that you, society now will not let you feel because of this thing called credit. You don't feel the immediate pain of being hungry now, because there are social systems to help you out, but there's also this thing called credit, and you will be lent money, and then you will pay interest on the money, and, and you can make bad purchases and put them off till you're 60 or 70. If you're luckier, just keep swinging money around. Some of you all are good at that. But I'm telling you, there will come a time and a pain point where you will not have anything. And if you trust just in the economy, economy, you might lose everything too, like riches have wings and fly away. I mean, the Bible talks about this all the time. They get corroded. They, you know? And so here's, here's what I want to say to you. You have to create artificial consequences called a budget. You have to sit down and figure out. Track every cent of your budget. And what you have to do, this is what we, we did. You create a budget where you know where every cent goes and every cent that you spend hurts you. Every penny hurts you a little bit. When you get your credit card out and you tap it, that doesn't hurt. Gone. It's like free money. My, my, my Nilo's is just like, oh my goodness. You can just tap a credit card and somebody else pays for it? Well, sort of. Somebody else is me. And so, but I need to say this about the whole budget thing. See, money represents control. And if you're in marriage, money represents control. So if one of you controls the budget, you've got a bit of a problem, right? So this is, in the first years of our marriage, Erin actually, in the first years, I controlled the budget. And then when she was staying home with the kids, she controlled the budget. And I was better at it than she was. I actually was. I'm not kidding. And then... It kind of swung back the other direction. But here's a, a kind of a radical idea that I have. I think it's from the Holy Spirit for you. You need to create a budget that controls the budget. Well, what do you mean? A budget that controls the budget. My budget has to be the king of money in the home. Not myself and not Aaron. That way neither of us are allowed to make emotional spins. Meaning you fight about it ahead of time. You fight about it. We go over every grocery list together. And we fight about it every single time. It's worth a fight. We do. We do. Why? Because the budget has to be king. Well, what do you mean? You don't trust your wife? No, I don't trust my wife. No. Because I can go out and buy a car and not think about it. Everybody's got emotional spins. What we do is we fight it out ahead of time. And then we, we make the budget in charge. Meaning, she agrees and I agree that this is what we're going to do. So that when we're there, you know what the great killer of a budget is? 50% off sale. <laughs> Ladies, yeah, come on, man, you walk. Guys, nobody charges full price for a car anymore, seriously. But it's, it was so cheap, it was almost free. It is not. Let me explain to you how this works. If something is normally $20 and it's on for $10 and you buy it when it wasn't on the list when you went there, you didn't need it. And you just blew $10 on nothing. I'm telling you, 
you got to create an artificial pain point and you have to find whatever leverage you have to do to do it. Let me explain how I do this. This is my leverage. This is who I am. You're going to have to find whatever yours is. Erin's leverage is this. She doesn't like fighting. But if she comes back with something that's not on that list, we fight. I'm Irish. I like fighting. Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. I don't mind a good scrap. No, listen. She has to know that I'm committed enough that budget stays king that I'll fight about her emotional bias. I'll say something. I'll bring it up. Listen, do you want to win or not? Okay, that's my motivation. I like winning. I love winning. So my whole budget is this big game that I play that every month I win because every month I come in just a little ahead. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. Now, here's, here's the thing about me. I hate losing more than I like winning. And when I misspend something, and Aaron's like, what did you just buy? And I'm like, I'm such a loser. I did it. I hate losing. Now, if you're like a very soft person or have a bad self-esteem, that won't work for you. I'm very confident, but man, some, that's how I talk to myself. Like, you loser, what did you, oh, I hate losing. I hate being a loser. I hate feeling, you have to create an artificial pain point that you feel. If you can create it and put the budget in charge of the budget, then you win because you're, all you're doing is, look, Aaron should expect that I keep my word. And budget is simply deciding up front what we're going to spend when we go. And so, and I'm going to tell you our philosophy about vacations and all sorts of stuff, but I also should expect her to keep her word. And when she doesn't, I should say something. Unless I'm some weak coward that can't say something about that. And I expect her to say something about that to me too. Because I didn't marry somebody who was dumb or weak. I expect her to say something if I don't keep my word. Come on. Right? Yeah, that's good, Pastor. Okay, good. So this is what we do. This is what we do to, to create artificial. We have, because we still use credit cards. I'll explain that in just a minute. We have this thing called good budget on our phones. Now, there might be better budget apps. I don't know. But here's the thing. She can tell the minute I spend something. She can tell. And I can tell with her. It creates an artificial thing so that when we pay, like I'll pay with a credit card. Give me a minute. Some of you shouldn't have credit cards. But I pay with a credit card, but I get my phone out on the spot and I type it in. Now, if you're married, one of you is, probably has more energy than the other one and likes numbers a little more than the other one. You have to bring your gift to budgeting because, honestly, that's part of my gift is that I honestly bring it up all the time and fight about it. Whereas, look, Erin, everybody loves Erin, but part of the problem is she forgets to write stuff down or just gets, she gets in a Costco. I know what happens. She gets in a Costco line, and then she's worried that she's holding the line up by taking her phone out and spending four seconds doing it. So she doesn't do it, and then it's like, I'll do it later. And then she's like, I'll do it, I did it, but then I didn't press save. And to me, all I hear is like, you're a loser. You lost some money in the budget. That's all that I hear. And I hate losing. And so, this is getting like super, super real. Okay. Um, and so that's how we create the pain point between us. Now, good news if you're single, go home and have a fight with spender you, because you don't have to have a fight with your spouse yet. Give that gift to your future spouse. Like, I have a budget that I keep. And I'm not marrying somebody who doesn't budget, so you want to marry me? That's my daughter's going to be. They got budgets. I'm like, if you want to marry somebody who, my, like my daughters, I'm not going to enable your lifestyle. Get a budget. Enter it on the right foot. Get it right. Okay. Um, these are just some of the things. Look, I wish we would have done this years before. My regrets, you know. But um, you can't choose where you start sometimes. You just got to choose what you're going to do today. So um, panic... A good budget will keep you from panicking. Let me explain how this works. So we have money in our budget, and we pack money in our, in, our, in our budget. So our budget is wisdom, and wisdom fights against panic. Panic is wisdom's enemy. 
Panic is like, my car broke down and I don't have the money to fix it. What do I do? I'm gonna go and buy a car, buy tires that I shouldn't buy, buy. You have to make an instant decision and you don't have money saved up and you're, you're panicking and you know you're gonna have to do with something with, without something. We have money saved in our budget every month. I think it's about 200 bucks for cars for fixing cars. So when something goes wrong or I need a set of tires, I don't panic. I've been looking at tires because I've got the money in the budget. And my car breaks down, that's what it's there for, the budget. I don't feel bad about that. It takes pressure off and replaces panic with wisdom because wisdom prepares. I'm going to read a scripture to you in a sec. It also takes guilt away when we buy things that we like. So sometimes we create these little fun money budgets or Aaron, will, Aaron likes plants. And so she, she'll get like, I don't know, she's super cheap. So I don't know if it's 50 bucks or 100 bucks sometimes. She'll, 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 we'll save up some fun money and then she'll go buy whatever plant she wants. And you have to create these little pockets too because I, I like buying a shirt every week or two or three and I buy from winners on the clearance rack because I, I hate losing. And I'll buy an $80 diesel shirt for $14 and I'll despise the $14 a little bit but I'll be like, somebody lost $80. And I got it because I don't pay retail for anything. But there's fun money in my budget that I don't feel guilty about because that's what it's there for. And so good budget is a zero-based budget idea on your phone. It takes about two minutes to enter in your income into different envelopes. So we have living and we have groceries and we have, you know, schooling and school bus. Katie's on a school bus. That costs us $300 a year. So every month I put like $25 in, you know, or whatever it is. And, and, and we have a vacation budget and we have a giving budget that goes in first and comes out first, man. It's in the budget so that it doesn't feel like I'm losing when I do it. I'm winning when I do it because that's what it's there for. And that's the first thing that goes in and the first thing that comes out. God loves a cheerful giver and giving first takes faith. All right. Um, when we go on vacation, um, we don't feel guilty about spending that money because it's there. That's, right. that's what it's there for. Vacation. It, it, it makes a guilt-free vacation. Okay. Proverbs 22 says this. The rich and poor have this in common, but it might be the only thing they have in common, right? The Lord God made them both. That's wisdom. The Lord God made both the rich and the poor. So when you're poor, that's what you say to the rich person. God made us both, man. You're not more important than me. Okay, that's true. But um, look, if you're a poor person or you have poor person resources right now, stop trying to live with a rich person budget. Because that's what society has promised you and can give you for some years. You want to live like people who have more income than you do, but you don't have their income. And you can do it by credit for a while until it catches up with you. And it will snow you under one day. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for my kids. And so this is how I talk to them. Um, a prudent person, it goes on to say, foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton, that's like God called me an idiot. I'm not, I hate being a loser, God. You know that. So the simpleton, it says, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Okay, why don't you move the consequence pain point to create an artificial consequence so that you feel it a little bit now, so that you don't feel it a lot later. Um, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches and honor and long life. True humility. It takes humility to actually crunch them, to sit down and figure it out. It's going to hurt for half an hour. Or if it takes 48 hours of fighting, it's going to hurt to do that. But that brings tr true humility. You have to actually look at the numbers. Uh, and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. And it says, direct your children onto the right path. I'm going to preach about this in the series. If you've got children or you can pour into the next generation. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Because they'll see everybody else doing what dad didn't teach them to do or mom didn't teach them to do. And it won't make any sense. 
They'll be like, why are you at the age of 25 driving a 45-year-old car? How much did that cost you? If you lost your job, you'd have to live in that car. And then somebody's going to tow it and you're going to be in it. And Right? I want my kids to be the wise ones. And then it says this, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. I'm going to get into what we, would, what we would borrow money for and what we wouldn't borrow money for. Our philosophy, I think it will help you a little bit. Some of it is straight up Bible and some of it just works for us and you're going to have to figure out what works for you. Do the straight up Bible stuff though, please. It will work for everybody. Um, the borrower is servant to the lender, meaning there's this idea in there that when you're borrowing to buy stuff, you in some regard become a stuff's servant. Think about that. When you buy a truck man that you can't afford or shouldn't afford, and you could have bought something for half the price that would do the, about the same job, it just doesn't have all the options that you think that you need, um, which I love. I love. I like vehicles. I like to roll up. I like to look like a rapper. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know it's not surprising because I look like a rapper. I could probably rap if I tried. I like it. I like the feel of it. I like wearing, you know, nice clothes that I got for cheap because I won. I like that sort of thing. But if I buy a vehicle that I can't really afford and I have to drive to work in the vehicle, this is how we always say it, like, well, I need it to drive to work. Yeah, you don't need an $80,000 truck to drive to work. Can we be honest here? You can take the bus. People do it all over the world. No, what I'm saying is this here. You become the slave to the truck meaning you've got to work an extra thousand years to buy that truck. So you're actually working for it. You're actually working for the new washer and dryer when you didn't need the new washer and dryer, and you certainly didn't need the Cadillac of washers and dryers that also discipline your kids, does their homework for them. There's probably stuff out there like that. I'm not rich. I don't know. Um, here's how we would think about credit. Here's what we would borrow money for and what we wouldn't borrow money for. Credit. Okay, if you're buying your first house, I would say that it's pretty hard to stockpile the money ahead of time. It depends on the market, though, so don't buy at a high time uh, if you're buying a house. But be very, very careful when you have a mortgage for a house. These 40-year mortgages are life-draining vampire killers. And the interest that you pay on like a 25, 30-year mortgage, you have to think to yourself along these lines, and this will help you. If I can afford a $350,000 house or whatever your number is, I don't know, 150, but let's just use, okay. Let's say a $350,000 house is what we really can afford, but I like the $550,000 house. Here, that extra $200,000, you have to think of it like this, will cost you $400,000 in interest. And some very genius math person is gonna be like, it's not quite that, it's just about that. Okay, think about it like that. Two for one interest on that period of time. And it's going to choke your cash flow. Cash flow is huge, everybody. It's going to, you got to keep the cash free month to month to month. So if you can live in a house within your means, some of you do that, and I love you for it. Live in a house in your means. And so, you know, we live in a house, in 40 years, we've been pretty good with money. And so we live in a house that's nice, but I came from a house that we put a lot of work into that I came out with equity. And so, but we didn't start glorious. We started in a $130,000 house, including the property that we did a lot of the work on. That's where we started, making $25 an hour combined. And um, so here's another thing, car payments. Let's talk about cars. All right, guys, I love you. I'm sorry. Uh, and we got some car salesmen at Venue, of course. I love you too. Buy your cars from them, that's great. 
But here's, here's the selling point for a car salesman. Let's talk about, what do they say? Monthly payments. Let's get your monthly payments below. So let's get you into financing a car. Let's get 0%, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, that's not the most important number, monthly payments in, in, car, in car payments. That's not the most important number. The only thing that matters, <laughs> yeah, you have to afford it month to month. The only thing that really matters is what's the total dollar amount that you're going to spend, including everything. So if I go in with cash, or even cash that I borrow from the bank, I can go in and get a better buying power and get that car another $2,000 off of that car or whatever the number is because I'm buying cash. I can hammer them a lot harder on the initial price. Figure it in. Figure out the whole dollar amount and that's what you're actually paying. Feel the pain point up front. But just getting into a low monthly payment, you'll probably get into a car that you can't afford yet. It's a rich person car. If you're a poor person, drive a poor person car. I hate to hurt your feelings, but the... The only way to get wealthy is to drive a poor person car if you're poor. That's it. There's no other way. If you try to live like the rich, you'll be more poor. All right. You know who's winning in this economic recession right now? Rich people. They have the money to buy when it's low. <laughs> like, I hate to say it, but it's true. But there's a reason that they understand how this world works. Dave Ramsey understands how this world works. Okay, let's move on here. Here are some of our never-evers. Are you ready? This one's straight out of Dave Ramsey. Never, ever sign for somebody else's loan. I love you, and I hope that you get in the house that you want, but I am not putting my family out of our house if you can't make your payments. I love you, and you can come live with us, some of you, but the roof over my children's head I am not sacrificing. So now, would there be an exception to this pastor? Maybe for my daughters if they marry a budgeter, but I'm not enabling a spender. Because here's the thing, if I lend money, I have to be able to walk away from that price tag, and I won't do it until I can financially do that. And my daughters, some of them are sitting here in the studio. I like that word, studio. But here's the thing, marry a budgeter, but would I sign for their mortgage? Maybe, but it gets real difficult if they borrow three or $400,000 from me and they can't pay it back. I can emotionally walk away from that, but it would be kind of foolish to think that it's not gonna affect our relationship, and our relationship matters more than them living in a rich person house. And so uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's just something to think about. Here's some of our never-ever's, never-ever's. Never-ever pay credit card interest. That's what stupid people pay. Never-ever. And if you're paying it, hate it. Oh, my goodness. Leverage whatever you have to leverage and hate it. Credit card interest is worse than making a bad purchase. Making a bad purchase kind of shoots you in the face. Credit card interest is putting the bullet in the gun and giving it to the credit card company and asking them to shoot you in the face. It's terrible interest. It's compound interest sometimes. It's, okay, never ever pay. It's almost as bad as borrowing $10,000 from Tony the Loan Shark down the street and getting your knees broken after two weeks. It's not that bad, but it's almost that bad. You gotta hate credit card interest. There are better ways, there are better ways, okay. Never ever, right? Now, do we have credit cards? We do have credit cards and we purchase things on the church. Like, I'm not walking around. I don't want to get mugged because I got to pay like bills that are some thousands of dollars. I don't want to get mugged on the street by you because you know that I carry cash around, right? So, but some of you need to tear up your credit cards because it's gotten you in the habit of spending like you're rich when you're not rich. And so you got to feel the pain point. So, so this is what we do. We never carry a balance ever. We did it one time by mistake, because we were out of the country, we came back and I paid like $55 of interest for like a very small amount and I'm like, I lost my Holy Spirit for 10 minutes and I hated myself and I have never done it since. It worked, it worked. I hate that feeling, I hate losing. But so, so and if you need some financial help, can I say, go through our financial freedom small group that we do, we'll probably start one up in the fall, Dave Ramsey, and just do everything that he says, he will show you how to pay off your debt 
And if you give God today, he'll give you tomorrow. I promise you. I promise you. It's going to be good. All right. Never, ever, ever vacation on credit. Never, ever, 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 ever. And if you do it with credit card, you don't deserve to go on a vacation because you just shot yourself in the face. Now, if you don't know, then you didn't know before today, okay? But I'm just going to tell it like I'm going to tell my kids, right? Don't ever go on poor people vacation. Go camping. It's a cheap vacation. Take your family camping or do day trips out of your house. Now, I would rather just stay in my house because I hate camping. (laughs) Camping to me is what they did, the settlers did. Why would my grandfather come and have to build a house and then we go and move into the yard? I want to move into the yard and tent. I hate tenting. I hate stepping. I live five women in a tent with me. And I'm stepping on hairbrushes and crap and just driving my unwashed bodies and yuck. I just hate it. We, we, were, we were in a tent one time and a thunderstorm blew in with the lightning and stuff. And my, my and it's like, it looks... It was Armageddon, man. And Katie, I remember Katie goes, Dad, are we going to die? And I'm like, talk about panic. I'm like, we might. (laughs) We might tonight. I don't love living in tents. Some of y'all love the mountains. That's great. Um, Okay, so this is just how we think about this. I'm taking too long with this, but it's kind of funny. Um, So sometimes um, some families in the church or friends of ours will lend us a holiday trailer. And then we, because I like glamping. I don't mind that. I like campfires and stuff, but I don't, you know. I like showers and stuff like that. So this is what we do. We put money in our budget. So Aaron and I, once or twice a year, just us, this is good for your marriage too, we save up enough money and we go like probably all-inclusive is most, most of the time when we just need to get away and not make decisions, it'll cost us 25, between 25 and $2,700 to go to Mexico or someplace. I'm just telling you. We don't feel guilty because we have the money because we saved it. That's what it's there for. And so we go, and that's what it costs to go for a week away and not have a care in the world, get on an airplane, get off an airplane. But what we don't do, here's just our philosophy, you do whatever you want to do. We don't buy a lot of extra excursions and trips because people tend to emotionally buy stuff there. Erin always goes to those meetings, and she's like, oh, we should do all this. I'm like, I could walk and talk to a local and do the same thing because I'm budget man for a quarter of the price and have a friend for life. You know, and so that's just our philosophy about that. If we're already getting everything for free, we don't love to do. Now, she's the one with the dolphins. I don't because they're, like, gross, like, slimy. So I took pictures outside. It still cost me money to go, but not that, you know, I'm just like, you can swim with those creepy little... Anyways, no, it's not like we haven't done that, but we just don't get sucked into emotional spending right then. (laughs) They're creepy. You know that they are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyways. Here's how, how also we think about this. If I buy a holiday trailer, I'm going to want a nice one. So it's going to cost me like 25K. But if I have to borrow money for it for 20 years, it's going to cost me 40K. Yeah, that's right. So for 40K, plus I got to buy the camping spots and camping firewood and all that stuff because I don't have a tree in my yard that I can cut down that Aaron will let me cut down because I'm super cheap. So that's how I think about it. For $40,000, I can actually budget in here and go wherever I want to in the world for filling the dollar. That's just how we think about that. We don't get locked into... Heavy. Now, if you have a holiday trailer that's paid off and you can do it for cash, great. I wouldn't borrow, you know, it's just one of those things. I just, I can't get my head around borrowing money for something like that. So for cars, we try to buy our cars for cash. The last one I just about did with cash, but I was super close. The last ones we bought were, but they were older vehicles. We drive what we can afford. So we upgraded our vehicles 240,000 kilometers between the two of them, 11 years between the two of them, and we upgraded them and... I didn't quite do it. It cost me a month and a half of my house payment. But in a month and a half, like we did that a few months ago, they were, they've been ours for a month and a half totally. So we do it with cash now. Now, now if you've got to borrow money, it's, it's just a different... I'm just telling you how I think. Is that okay? Is that helping you? Someday I'm going to buy a nice new car. But it's not today. 
because I want to pay my house off first. We want to pay our house off. That's just what we want to do. And we're just doing that at a rate that we can do that. Okay, never, ever, ever eat on credit. Okay, eating out, that should be the first thing that goes out of your budget if you're a poor person. You know how much it costs to eat out? Pack a lunch. Pack a lunch. I eat frozen pasta. Like, we used to work outside. We would be a frozen block of pasta. It was gross. But, man, we saved a lot of money. We paid Dad $25,000 in the first year, and I ate frozen pasta, and it was disgusting. Eat frozen pasta. Eat eggs. Got any poor people in the house? Never, ever. <laughs> love eggs. Yeah, I know. They're cheap. Here's the thing. Eat poor people food if you're a poor person. If you want to do all the organic thing, that's great, but build something to spend with. Don't play this whole like, well, you know, our bodies are temples, and your body's going to be a temple in a poor person house if you can't afford it. Build your base of wealth until you have it in the budget. We eat better now than we used to eat because we built it into the budget. You can say any story you want to to spend whatever you want to on. So that's, that's good. That's eat poor people. And then if your kids get tired of pasta, just tell them, I bought a truck I couldn't afford. It's on me. <laughs> Leverage a little pain there. They, they, they can hate you a little bit. I like pasta. We don't eat pasta much anymore. I feel like we've gone back in time. But All right. Never, ever, ever. Um, look, buy stuff on credit. The only new piece of furniture that we have in our house is our dining room set. That was new at one time. It's not new anymore. Our kids have destroyed it. Some of you all have destroyed it. <laughs> dining room set and, and, and uh, that captain's chair that I bought that squeaks like crazy now when you sit on it. We lived with poor people furniture for a long time. We set up our whole house with it. We just gifts from family. And if you've got a poor person butt, sit on a poor person couch. <laughs> if you don't got a rich person butt, don't sit on a rich person couch. <laughs> don't buy stuff on credit. You'll end up serving it. Wait until you can afford it, then buy it for cash. Don't put it on credit. Like, buy it for cash. Buy it for cash. Buy it for... Okay, good. Um, good. Here's, here's other things, just a couple things, and I'm going to end. I'm going over time because these people can't go anywhere, and there's not a bunch of people here. But, um, okay. Go to the movies on credit. Or if it's not in your budget. We have a budget, so we go to t movies maybe two or three a year that I actually pay for the kids, but like movies, uh, movies and popcorn for a child is like 30 bucks. You know what we do most often? Like, I'll, I'll do that in my budget a little bit. If they want to go to a movie, I'll make them pay for it. Oh, you horrible monster. Whatever. I'm teaching them life skills, everybody. Life skills. I tell them, like, look, we're probably going to go to Mexico this year in, on summer. Is it a rich person vacation? No. It costs me the same to go there with the apartment that I rent in Mexico someplace as it does to go to Idaho. So I got Idaho on my family budget, and I tell the kids, if you want to go to Mexico, buy your plane ticket. What do you want to do? They are learning how money works. Because I can eat groceries the same there, probably cheaper in Mexico. Okay, you feel it? Oh, you have rich people. No, 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 we don't spend a lot of money when we're there, believe me. Like, we sweat it. We go to the OXO and we buy little stuff, little items, okay. Um, here's another thing, go to the movies. So you know what we do? We just rent movies at home. They cost $7 for an HD movie and like $1 for popcorn. And we can eat as much as we want. And I don't even do the HD movies because I can do a $5 movie that's standard definition because my kids got poor people eyes. They don't know. Saving money. They don't know. They don't know there's a difference. All right. Listen, I'm going to end the sermon with this. You ready? You ready? Every item that I've talked about, we fought about 15 times or 150 times or 1,050. It's worth the fight. You've got to fight a fight inside of you where you quit. Listen, this is... This is why we buy some things in the budget, because you will find some funny things that all they're doing, you ready? All they're doing is scratching an emotional itch for you. And everybody's got them. 
I like cars, and I like nice shirts. My wife's emotional itch was having a fridge full of things because she didn't come from much. And when she would see a fridge full of rotting vegetables, she had a friend who was way worse than her. You know, we were camping with them because I don't buy my own holiday trailer or whatever. We were camping with them because they had this big one. And, and I'm like, I'm going into the town. Do you need anything? And she, her friend says to me, yeah, we're out of vegetables. And I opened the tiny little fridge. And I'm like, I, first of all, I could hardly get the thing shut. It had so much stuff in there. 11 types of vegetables in there. Some of it was rotting. I'm like, and you want me to bring back more vegetables? For who? Nobody's eating these ones. You know what, though, Erin? Because of a sense of security, she scratched the emotional itch by having too much stuff in the fridge. Listen, we live within minutes of five supermarkets. I would rather drive across for two minutes and two minutes and buy a jug of milk than to pour out milk or food or... What it was doing, it was, it was her lack of trust in God, I think. You have to go to God for your daily bread. There's a reason why manna came once a day and they weren't allowed to stockpile it too much. It takes faith and discipline to live like that. We don't buy more than we need per week and we run out during the week. We do, it's just a discipline thing that we do and we saved, can I say, I don't know baby, 600 bucks in our monthly grocery budget. Because we budget and we fight about it. 600 bucks, what would you do with 600 bucks? Now I got too many kids, that's why we have to feed them. But, but listen, it's scratching an emotional itch. God, your father, is the only one who can scratch that emotional itch. He's the only one who can fill that place in your heart. So let me pray for you. God, I, I pray that you would be the source of our security, not the economic condition, not circumstance, not our own understanding, Father. I pray that everybody right now would hit the reset button and say, I'm going to create an artificial consequence called a budget. I'm going to go over it and I'm going to do it tonight before I run out of the energy or just tell myself the same story I've always told myself. And Father, I pray that you would honor their faithfulness with uh, their resources so that you can pour your Holy Spirit fire on them and bring them a harvest from heaven and, and, and just induct them into the heavenly kingdom, Father, with heavenly uh, resources so that your children don't beg bread. I pray for these people in Jesus' name. Amen.